Harry Callahan is a terrible police officer. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Callahan! Sir, I don't want any more trouble like you had last year in the Fillmore district. Understand? That's my policy. Yeah, well, when an adult male is chasing a female uh, with intent to commit rape, I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. Intent? How did you establish that? Well, a naked man is chasing a woman through an alley with a butcher knife and a hard eye. I figure he isn't out collecting for the Red Cross. I think he's got a part. What I'm saying is that man had rights. Well, I'm all broken up about that man's rights. You should be. Yeah. Well, I went into this movie expecting a sort of a goofy cop movie, and it's not what I got. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. I'm Anya. I'm Jason. And tonight, on this episode, on this week's episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie, we are tackling Dirty Harry, all the way from 1971, starring Clint Eastwood as Harry, Andrew Robinson as Killer, Harry Gardino as Bressler. Uh, I, I don't remember what his position is within the San Francisco bureaucracy. Uh, John Vernon as the mayor, who we don't get enough of in this film. John Vernon is kind of a favorite of mine. John Mitchum as DeGeorgia. I don't know who that is in this film. Uh, John Larch as Chief. Mae Mercer as Miss Russell. Lynn Edgington as Norma. Ruth Cobart as Bus Driver. Let's see here. Where's his new partner? Who's that guy? Uh, his his partner was Chico Gonzalez. Okay, okay. Oh, so, okay. Oh, Reno Santini. Reni San, San, Santoni. Sorry. Reni Santoni as Chico. The film introduces a really pretty well-known character actor, Joseph Somer. Uh, as Rothko, he's the prosecuting attorney. Uh, the film was directed by Don Siegel, and Clint Eastwood apparently directed the suicide segment in the film. Uh, written by Harry Julian Fink, Rita M. Fink, and Dean Reisner. This is an interesting cast list because it, none of this necessarily was destined to happen. The studios actually wanted Sidney Pollack or, oh gosh, Irvin Kirshner to direct. But Kirshner yes. dropped out when Sinatra dropped out. Frank Sinatra audience was supposed to play Dirty Harry Callahan. And they, they the, the producers and the directors had, hadn't settled on Clint Eastwood at, at first, though Clint Eastwood seems to have been involved fairly early on. We're going to offer it to Marlon Brando, but then remember that it was Marlon Brando they were going to try and work with. <laughs> They once again came to their senses. Yeah, they were like, whoa, 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 this is, this is not a good idea. How old was Sinatra at the time? He was 55. The original script, I mean, I guess you start with that. The the, um, the original script was written by a married couple, uh, Harry Julian Fink and Rita Fink. Yep. They said it in New York City. And, you know, it was Henry, Harry Callahan. It was the same character, but they saw Harry as an older police officer. I think the original idea was, here's this battle hardened police officer, you know, who's now having to contend with this uh, Miranda rights and a lot of the, the court decisions from the Warren court. 
in the '60s that that had um, you know created or not created but but expounded on these rights in the in the Fourth Amendment, uh, Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth, I guess, amendments. That the whole idea would be that this would be an old school officer or inspector and so he w- he would be older and so so that was the original idea it was also offered to john wayne was it really he turned it down yeah i i, I think i've read somewhere uh, wayne thought it was too violent so but yeah he turned it down there were there were a lot of people that turned it down well, one, of, one of the interesting uh cast choices that they they talk about in 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 imdb trivia is it was offered to paul newman and he turned it down because he thought it was too right wing but he said clint eastwood would probably be good for the role i, yeah, I read that yeah. And I, I know, I think one of the reasons why Sinatra dropped out was because he, he, he had broken his wrist and he found that handling the, the big firearm was, was awkward for him. It, it, it wasn't comfortable. And I think he wanted to do something lighter. They offered the role to Steve McQueen, but Steve McQueen had just done Bullet two years earlier and he wasn't really interested in playing a cop. It's sort of an interesting thing. Irvin Kirshner, what, what, what great movies has he directed, Jason? Oh, God, let me think. Uh, Never Say Never Again. Oh, no, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, Sorry. yeah, that, that's what I was after. But Robocop uh, two, <laughs> but a great director. Uh, but he dropped out when Sinatra dropped out. So, so the, that's the, just the casting for the hero. The the villain Scorpio, uh, uh, Don Siegel wanted to cast a I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a very clean cut actor known for playing heroic people, sort of a leading man of the fifties. Not quite to that status, but well known for playing a clean cut hero. And Siegel wanted that guy to play Scorpio because he thought it would be a nice juxtaposition for the audience to see this guy who they who they're used to being really nice being a sadistic psychopath but Clint Eastwood pushed really hard for I'm going to use this word the entirely sweet Andrew Robinson Andrew Robinson plays the killer in the film he's a pacifist I guess the the actor and he had a lot of trouble shooting guns in the film he would blink and flinch and Don Stiegel stopped the film and made him go learn how to shoot a little bit but he still flinches he felt incredibly bad in a couple of key scenes later in the film and I'll get to those later but he felt really bad about verbally abusing some of his fellow actors. And I just think, what a sweet, sweet man. Go ahead, Anya, sorry. I'm sure he felt bad about smacking the kids around in that bus scene. Yeah. Yeah. He does feel bad. That's, that's one of the it's scenes. It's hard to get kid actors to, to cry like that. And I'm wondering what they did. Maybe well, they were just good at, at crying on command, or maybe they were actually scared of the guy. Well, I would have, I mean, Andrew Robinson is carrying on quite a lot in that bus scene, and I would have been scared of him. He was so good in this movie. I hated his guts. I was like, stop talking. It's interesting that you say that, Jason. Do you have some trivia here? About him? Yeah. I mean, all, all I had was what, what was what you had said uh, about him, you know, really struggling with the you know, hand of gun. And uh, so, uh, but but I mean, he has worked a lot since, oh, yeah, since then. But I believe this was his, his first movie. I think so. Clint Eastwood pushed for him because he'd seen him in a play and he thought this guy would yeah. be great for the, for the role. But he got death threats well, for this movie. To, to, but um, to back up for a second, because actually um, the role was offered to numerous people. Sinatra was attached to it at one point. But while Sinatra was attached to it, it did go through some rewrites by Terrence Mal- uh, Malick. I uh, did some rewrites. But um, John Milius, who uh, directed um, Conan the Barbarian, I believe. He did a lot of rewrites to this movie. And he, he didn't really like the screenplay that had been sold to Warner Brothers. And so he, he he was he was changing a lot of material. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, there was actually kind of a a, a vigilante cop kind of subplot to it yeah. that would later be in the, in the next movie. 
but but he had changed a lot. And then when when uh, when Warner Brothers finally went to to Eastwood, Eastwood's company, uh, Malpaso, or I've never known how to pronounce that actually, but uh, uh, the Mal the Malpaso company, okay, you know, kind of took over production. And then Don Siegel came in and was in charge of the production. So you kind of mentioned that 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 um, Eastwood pushed for this and pushed for that, but his company was kind of making it for okay. Warner Brothers. So so you know th- this was not necessarily like a studio film. Um so he brought uh, Don Siegel in who uh was a, a director he'd worked with two or three times before this and at this time was kind of like his new mentor after coming coming away from working with uh, Sergio Leone. One of the things Eastwood pushed for was he didn't like the rewrites and they all got thrown out. They went back to the original script, the original script by Fink and Fink. Okay. I didn't know that they wanted- wanted an older person to play Harry Callahan and that I really liked the idea of him being an older Paul Newman. I think I would have liked him more if he was an, an older guy or especially if he was Paul Newman. Well, yeah, I think it would have inevitably been a different movie if it had been Paul Newman in the role. You know, I, I, I agree. I And I think that it, it totally would have worked. Eastwood doing it makes it a different movie because I, I kind of alluded to, and Anya, this might be where you're going with this in your imagination, if it is an older actor, then you make that a character trait that, well, this is a cop that he, he's been working for, he's been on the force for 40 years and he remembers how they used to do things and that kind of thing. And Eastwood, Eastwood, because he's younger here, can't really sell that. Clint Eastwood is Dirty Harry in, in, in the pop culture imagination. I mean, that's just that's just where we are. But Eastwood's uh, Harry Callahan is a little bit more of um, just kind of a, a, a gruff, nasty, kind of naturally nasty person mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody who you know is just has just been around the block more than a few times and therefore is just kind of set in his ways harry's younger in, the, 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 in this movie there's no excuse for that so it, it does make it does make the character different and that's why max what you're saying, that it would have been a different movie if it had been one of these one of these any of these other actors actually yeah i think with clint eastwood playing him he doesn't have as much of a reason to be yeah. angry yeah. guy that he is yeah. yeah. I know Don Siegel sort of viewed this film as Harry Callahan is right on the line of being, he's a borderline vigilante. You know, that's sort of how he sees Harry. That's how Siegel seemed to have seen Harry Callahan. I came away from the movie thinking that Harry Callahan was a terrible cop and a, an okay superhero, an okay vigilante. Yeah. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. So I, I guess I want to set the context for this film and a few other films like it that, that sort of this genre of uh tough almost anti-hero cop sort of is born out of the i think i'm gonna i'm gonna offer this hypothesis that this kind of film and this kind of narrative was born out of the crime spike of the 60s and 70s from 1960 to 1970 crime rose the crime rates violent crime rose like 160 percent or 140 percent and then from 1970 to 1980 it rose a further 60 percent and so you know these are these narratives of you know, crime wave, this crime wave, that dominated the news cycles. It dominated our fiction. I mean, the the book Death Wish, which would uh, which would of course become Charles Bronson's vigilante uh, epic opus, uh, was a part of this scene. There are other films like it, and other books. Uh, even Remo Williams, I think, is sort of born in this. Uh, uh, the 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 book anyway, the series is born in this time. 
And so Dirty Carry, I'm sorry, Dirty Harry seems like a, a film very much made to address these these fears that audience members have, you know, about yes. uh, criminals getting a lot of privileges, criminals getting away with a lot, criminals just doing a lot. Uh, also, at the same time, I mean, Scorpio is l- sort of loosely based on the Zodiac Killer. Um, yeah, which that was that was added later because the original script was supposed to be set in New York City, and um, I don't know whose decision it was to move it to San Francisco, but that would have made it very easy to incorporate the the Zo- the um, yeah the Zodiac uh, yeah Zodiac Killer. Uh, into it and, and also i think um and for the three of us it, it it's difficult to understand this but i think this film tries to make this point I, like you know i can't remember ever questioning miranda rights but um this film makes this point and the the miranda case and there's and there's another supreme court case that's mentioned in the movie these cases were in 64 and 66 so these were new supreme court decisions they were new aspects of law enforcement and like to us they that these aren't controversial things, but at this time it it might have been because people would have seen a, a perhaps a, a cause and effect because you just pointed out the statistics, crimes going up. The script was written right about the same time as the Manson killings. Yes. And so people were very afraid because there was this new kind of this surge in crime that they many people had never even experienced or expected. And this yeah. very much a response to the way people felt at that time. Honey, did you have anything? Oh, it just made me think also of the um, investigation techniques techniques that came about about 20 years earlier, the Reed uh, interrogation techniques, Yeah, which uh, I'm sure Harry Callahan was a big fan of, but it was like the practice of questioning a suspect basically until they broke because like lack of food and sleep and water and it's like the most commonly used interrogation technique but that's just what that was making me think of as well well that's that's an interesting idea but i don't know that harry is the kind of cop who needs to interrogate people he, i mean he doesn't it's, like, it's a very gray area he, yeah it's another opportunity for him to mess up along with the miranda rights yes yes, yes yes but something i want to i want to go back to what jason said about what why did why did the film get moved to san francisco Francisco. I would be I wouldn't be surprised if Clint Eastwood himself had yeah. some role in that. He was born in San Francisco. He also was part of and still probably remains to this day part of that California Republican tradition. And th- the main villains of the piece aside from Scorpio is elite bureaucracy. Like Dirty Harry Callahan is for people in Clint Eastwood's uh intellectual milieu, he's the kind of guy who cuts through that elitist red tape nonsense that human rights trash and he's going to get to the heart of it you know this works i suppose if you're always right about who's good and who's bad but like if you're, if you're the punisher if well, you're frank I mean, castle yeah but again it's it, it it all hinges on absolute certainty you know what i mean that 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 you're uh you've shot the right guy in the leg and then you're going to step on that leg to get the information that you need but i'm getting i get ahead of myself again audience the film is definitely a creature of its time and it's it's definitely a creature of San Francisco. Jason, uh-huh. I'm going to turn the floor over to you a little bit. I know you're a San Francisco. You enjoy going to, you've enjoyed that city. You enjoy visiting it. This is another film that takes place in San Francisco. And this also, this from the beginning of the movie to the end, this does something that you like a film to do. Do you know what it is that I'm talking about? Uh, use real locations. Tell us about how this film compares to some films today in terms of location shooting, in terms of establishing place. Oh, oh, um, well, there's almost no comparison, but I would 
even before. This film is uniquely virtuous in its use of of locations and of really making really putting you in the city. And and the cinematography absolutely helps with that. I mean, I, I can kind of use this just to kind of you know jump into the into the opening scene. The film was shot by Bruce Surtees, who was uh, who worked a lot with Eastwood at this time. Which, by the way, um, this is a side note. Clint Eastwood uh, accepted this role at the same time that he was just finishing up directing his first movie, Play Misty for Me. Yes, yes. Uh, which I believe also, I think Bruce Surtees might have might have shot that as well. But there's a lot of very wide shots of San Francisco in this movie, and and you know, kind of looking down on the city. And I don't think that's by accident. It's not something that you would have seen in you know in a movie just ten years ten years before. Mm-hmm. I. I like when I, I I did read that this film is kind of considered neo noir. Okay, but I think that there that there are a lot of noir. I mean, if this movie was black and white, oh, it would be easy to see as a noir, as a noir film. Yeah. Absolutely, we would. It, it's shot that way in many ways, but they're able to use the the location shooting in a way that a lot of older films couldn't. And this begins, we have kind of a traditional opening credits that, that that are kind of superimposed over basically the first murder scene with some groovy 70s music by Lalo Schifrin, which I, I never got tired of uh, as the movie as the movie wore on. But we see a, um, a girl taking a swim and she's being watched by somebody who has a, a, a sniper rifle and she's shot and we, we, we watch her kind of drown in the pool and it, it looks pretty realistic to me like uh, she 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 kind of lurches with the surprise of being hit and then she kind of just begins drowning yeah. um, and, and then we we immediately cut to kind of just little snippets to the investigation harry's on the scene he figures out very quickly what happened um and there's kind of this moment where he looks out over the city and that's the kind of the panoramic view that i was talking about where he looks out over the city and 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 you see all these buildings and then it kind of it kind of pans a little bit and then you see what is the uh the bay bridge yes to the left and the bay bridge which goes to oakland uh looks a lot like the golden gate bridge but it's a different color and it goes to a different place it's a different bridge jason you you've just established this <laughs> and then but then there's a but then there's a cut to a profile of him you know looking out at that view and there's the golden gate bridge to his left in the distance so you get this whole view of the city which is which is always a breathtaking thing and and this will just continue through the film san francisco is a character in this movie and and it is uh and, and i'll get back to that later in the final scenes yeah it is lovingly photographed throughout and 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 um is actually something you know just because it's dirty hairy and so you have to watch this movie as a, a dirty cop you know spouting classic lines and shooting people that people don't really talk about that about that aspect of this movie but the um the shot composition of the location shots is first rate absolutely and some of the some of just the action shots and the and the composition of of individual beats of the film are actually really kind of brilliant it's it's subtle and it happens fast sometimes and you almost miss it but the film is really really sharply composed the other thing i wanted to say is that you 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 refer to this as kind of a neo-noir and it is definitely that but it it does this it does this interesting thing because when the film opens we see all these like cops who have been killed uh this like on the 
this plaque of police who have been killed yeah. at the beginning of, of the of the show. It's almost like it's luring us in with a dragnet style police procedural, and then it throws this this weird guy on a roof at us, you know, and then and then and then then we're into the neo noir, but it but it is playing a little bit with the idea of the police procedural. But I'll return to this idea of San Francisco being lovingly created. Because I think sometimes this film is a little bit misinterpreted. And I and I I was thinking about this on my second watch of the film when I'm thinking about like the kind of conservative that Clint Eastwood is, right? This isn't a Mel Gibson noir film where where you would get a really negative impression of wild, fairly liberal San Francisco. I, I get the sense that Dirty Harry doesn't have anything against the people that are doing their own thing in San Francisco. The villains are the elite bureaucracy, the liberal bureaucracy that's, that, that is bending over backwards for criminals. But the film doesn't denigrate homosexuals, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't attack liberal San Francisco. I don't think. Did, did you guys? Did you guys see that, or do you guys think I'm wrong here? No, uh, definitely not. But um, unfortunately, I, I think you have you have erred. Harry hates everybody. Well. He, he, he doesn't he doesn't pick anybody out he doesn't pick non-favorites well he hates everybody and the, and the film makes this point well i think that that's sort of a, a joke because i don't think i don't i don't quite believe that about harry quite honestly but the way and we'll get to that the way eastwood plays that scene you're yeah. totally right. to talk about the film being set in la instead of in new york i can see san francisco well damn it san <laughs> <laughs> francisco I could see this story happening in New York, but I think the changing of location to LA. San Francisco. God damn it. San Francisco. SF, San Francisco. The yeah. changing of location to San Francisco. <laughs> It, whenever, because it's in the desert, right? San Francisco. Not, not really. You know, it, um, it's Northern California, so okay. it's right on the bay, and and there's actually ah, uh, there are some. I, I know. Cause see, you're thinking of the final scene that there are those sections, but there's well, also forestation as well. The starkness of the color in the film makes it seem hot. And something about like films in California, even though there's so much going on there, it always feels kind of hollow and desolate. Yeah. So it's giving a very different vibe than cold and grimy New York. It's got a different kind of grime, a hotter and drier. It does look that way. It does look that way. I thought you were going to talk about how there's almost a Western element to Dirty Harry. I could, if, if a tumbleweed went through i wouldn't question it yeah yeah. well i mean but, like if you look at him i mean there's this element that he's a man out of time he's like looking around for the poncho that he wore in the last three films he made you know oh i definitely think he would be happier as the cowboy yes yes I, you get the sense would, that harry callahan would have appreciated that he would have much preferred frontier just that first scene where i love that there's no dialogue and also the scene where she gets shot mm -hmm. that goes back to the starkness of color that I was talking about because the water is so blue and so bright and it's so sunny out and she's just dying in this beautiful hot pool on the building yeah. and she's dead. But I don't know. I just think it's- And there's a gurgle. There's yeah. a gurgle. It's, it's really kind of hard to watch. You just pointed out the lack of dialogue and, you know, that, I mean, because, you know, because we've got to listen to the score and the, you know, read this. But actually, 
very similar to the the no dialogue scene that opens Rio Bravo. I'd never, I, I hadn't made that connection, but but you're right. I mean, actually, everything the initial investigation is done totally without dialogue. Everything is just watching Harry react to things and seeing him. Well, well, there is one at the very end where he's uh, he says Jesus. Yeah, when he when he finds the note. That's probably like my favorite scene in the movie. Not not to say it goes downhill or anything, but I just it felt so iconic. So well, well done, yeah. So quiet, and then we we see the note, and we know how bad it is based on this guy who hasn't talked the whole movie uttering a curse word. He's been provoked to saying, "Geez." You get the chance. You get the, the uh, impression that he's not a guy that talks unless he really has something to say. Sounds yeah. like no, no. Let's not be hasty. Let's not be hasty. What was I going to say a minute ago? I want to point something out here, and I don't know that it matters that much, but uh, I'm going to try not to nerd out on the firearms in the film that much, but the bad guy is using a Japanese sniper rifle. Sniper rifle, not a sniper rifle. I don't know what those are, but a sniper rifle uh, that's uh, chambered in in, in .30-06. All of the guns that he uses, Scorpio uses, are Axis guns. Oh, okay. He's clearly a homophobic guy. He's clearly a racist. He's an anti cat Catholic. It is interesting to me that the villain is also kind of right wing. Yeah. We'll get to his next, his almost next victim. The person doesn't end up being a victim. But after that initial Jesus that we get out of Harry, I think the next scene is with the the upper management Mayor. of the law enforcement community, right? Yeah. And and then we kind of see what Harry's up against in terms of these these bureaucrats and these liberal elites. I mean, they're, they're paralyzed bureaucrats. I mean, they don't they don't take any responsibility. They don't do anything. Would any of you care to describe the scene? Because the, the mayor is like trying to figure out how to deal with this guy who wants a million dollars or he's going to kill a priest or an African-American. He doesn't use that word. He doesn't. He he skips it. He doesn't he doesn't. Well, change. Yeah. So 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 in the letter that Scorpio leaves for the police, he says, you know, if you don't give me a million dollars or whatever the number is, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll kill. He's going to kill a person a day. I'm going to start with a priest or inward. Um, and the mayor says Catholic priest. But then he says. Scorpio. But he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't add the, the the he doesn't he doesn't utter the N-word. And and I, I thought that was a I thought that was kind of a nice touch because I think it says some positive things about the mayor, actually. I, I like the mayor a bit. He's not a bad guy. He's not I don't think Harry dislikes him, and he kind of likes Harry. You know, Harry doesn't think that he's doing the right thing. I don't think Harry likes him. I don't okay. think so either. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I do I do feel bad for the mayor because he's clearly not cut out to be in this position. Well, nobody nobody is cut out for this situation where you've got like a, a near super villain terrorizing your fair city. And so they come up with a strategy to keep the sniper from attacking again. And then the mayor says, hey, we don't want to have any more of this this uh, this crazy, dirty, hairy policing. And Harry says, well, you know, the mayor says, that's my policy. We don't want any more of this kind of frontier justice. He doesn't say those words, but that's what he means, I think. And Harry says, well, when I see somebody, you know, with intent to rape, my policy is to shoot him. And the mayor says, the mayor says, intent? And uh, you know that was the intent. Yeah, yeah. And and Harry describes the scene pretty well. And uh, he says, well, you know, when I see a guy naked chasing a woman with a knife, I don't know. Yeah, yep. I don't assume that he's out collecting for the Red Cross and then he leaves with that 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 charming uh, Clint Eastwood does have a pretty charming smile. And the mayor says, well, you know, he might have a point. Yeah, that um, that scene was uh, parodied in the naked gun. Mm. Remember that where the mayor says, now, Drebin, 
I don't want any more of that stuff that happened that happened on the West Side last year. That's my policy. Yes, well, when I see four weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a man in broad daylight in front of 100 people, I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. That was a Shakespeare in the Park performance of Julius Caesar, you moron. <laughs> so, uh, but, well, but no, I, I had not remembered that, but uh, <laughs> I, I can see Leslie Nielsen delivering those lines with sheer perfection. And that was, and that was directly channeling this line, which is just this movie and actually all the dirty harry movies but this one definitely that there is so much there are so many scenes in this movie that people have seen even if they haven't seen it even if not seen the scenes they've seen the scenes i mean they've heard them described or they've seen them parodied this is very this is very much um kind of one of those cultural osmosis movies Absolutely. You know about this movie and you know a lot about it, even if you've never seen one minute of it. No, that's absolutely the case. That's absolutely the case. I mean, everybody knows the famous line from this movie. I think after that, after the after the scene where they come up with the strategy, they're going to put helicopters all over the place, patrol the tops of buildings to make sure that, the, the, that somebody spots the sniper. And I can't remember if we see Scorpio attempt to kill somebody in the next scene or if, if it's the bank robbery scene. Which, bank robbery scene. Okay. Bank robbery. So this is our first instance of Harry as maybe not the best law enforcement officer. He causes complete and utter chaos. This is true. Car, multiple cars flip over. A fire hydrant has exploded and there's bodies all over the street. The siren from the bank is going off. Cars, cops are on the way. And, and, and Well, this is absolutely the case, but he's, he's very observant. He realizes that there's probably a bank robbery in progress. Now, instead of calling it in himself. Now, back in the day, audience, a lot of officers would have had to go to a payphone or a designated police phone and call in on a landline. They weren't cell phones. They didn't have, you know, satellite phones or there were like five satellites in the sky in 1971. But instead of doing any of that, Harry walks into his favorite diner and gets the usual and asks the cook, <laughs> the chef of hot dogs, to call it in and say, there's a there's a 65432 in progress. Make sure to tell him it's in progress. And then he starts to eat his hot dog, just hoping that the, the boys in blue will come so he doesn't have to do anything about it. Yeah. Nassim. I thought that was interesting because actually one of the th- one of the stereotypes when people talk about Dirty Harry is that he's trigger happy. No, he's not. He um, w- when he's in a situation, he's ruthless. But in this scene, he would rather eat his hot dog. He doesn't want to have to do anything. Yeah, but. He gets his first bite of this delicious hot dog, and then the, the the alarm bells go off at the bank, and then he has to perform a lot of daring do. And like, if he had have taken some initiative, he would not have had to make one hundred yard shots. At- <laughs> As the fucking bank robbers. Well, luckily, he's Dirty Harry, and that's easy peasy for for him. And so it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, he creates a lot of chaos. And he he. <laughs> this is the first instance too where we'll see his almost Jason Voorhees like calm when approaching villains as he approaches one of the last living bank robbers who's laying on the ground. An actor, by the way, uh, who will be in every single Dirty Harry film uh, that there is. So he'll be in all. I think what five of these films, six of these films. Five. 
five. But he's a he's a he's a bad guy in in this moment, and I think he's a bad guy in most of them. But later on, he'll be one of Harry's partners. But there's a guy he's laying on the ground, he's bleeding, and he's reaching for a shotgun, and we get the iconic line. Uh, does anybody want to do it? I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six or did he fire five? And then he says, "In all this excitement, I've lost track myself." What does he say next? Oh, oh I, I know the next part. This is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. And with your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? And? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to compliment Jason's um, facial expressions there. Really channeling Eastwood. Well, and I'm especially prou- proud of my use of the word clean. It's clean off. It is it is a peculiar pronunciation of clean that that Eastwood embraces. And the guy doesn't feel lucky. And he he pulls his hand away from the shotgun and Dirty Harry picks it up. And this is one of the Sam Spade moments of the film. I'm calling this because I I don't know if you've ever seen or read the Maltese Falcon. Sam Spade is an asshole and (laughs) Dirty Harry is like a descendant, an illegitimate child of Sam Spade. But as he's walking away, the bank robber is like, says, I got to know. And Dirty Harry looks at him, aims his gun at the guy and pulls the trigger and it clicks. And Dirty Harry gives him this like, smile. Wasn't that a funny joke I just did? Reveling in the meanness that he just performed. The terror on the guy's face was so good. It was like, he was like, oh my God, he's going to do it. Yeah. Harry knew. Oh, I'm sure that he knew. Yeah. And and when this comes up again, he knows too. Yeah. This is something that he does that is kind of sadistic. Well, you know, if you shoot a lot of revolvers, you do keep track of that, that because, you know, if you shoot revolvers, they're always empty. So you're always keeping track of, of one through six. And somebody like Harry would definitely, uh, because he favors this, you know, and he favors guns that are just terrible for law enforcement. I've got to say. But he he didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to fire at him. No, he didn't. He could have, he could, he could have just. Open, open the chamber and showed him that there were none left. Yeah. Lots of different ways he could have done it. Instead, he he want he wanted to scare him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he did. Yeah. Absolutely. No. It's a it's a sadistic thing to do. Definitely something that would be worthy of at least catching a reprimand from his superiors. A written. I, I'm going to say a written reprimand at least. Put it in the file. He's a bad cop. He's not a good cop, but he is a good shot. And then he goes and continues on about his business. I think then we go to the rooftop with Scorpio and Scorpio is kind of trying to find his next victim and I think I read that this is the first film to un with, without any kind of artifice or slyness show a homosexual couple on screen in a true it occurred to me that 1971 this was um not something you would have seen a lot in a, in a movie no no and one of the things that I was thinking about that and and the, about this scene in particular we don't like Scorpio so we don't really want to sympathize with nobody wants to sympathize with him at all and I I I thought that this was sort of the way the director who's kind of a liberal guy and Clint Eastwood who's probably socially liberal I mean he's a Republican of California and most of them with the exception of Reagan were are like that you know socially kind of liberal or at least well you do what you do and I'll do what I do and it's we'll just leave each other alone um but but Scorpio's the bad guy and in in my mind as a viewer that means that we are to sympathize with his victims and that's the perspective that this film from 1971 is offering the 
the audience. These are two innocent guys just having a nice day in a in a park in San Francisco. And it is awful. I, the message we're supposed to get, and one I I, 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 I is, is absolutely the right message, and I'm happy to see that a, a film starring Clint Eastwood that sort of is accused of being too, too conservative, right, is saying that these are the victims. These are the okay people. Scorpio's the bad guy. This right-wing hate guy is the bad guy. The other thing that's kind of interesting in this scene, the boots that Scorpio is wearing, I think I called him Scorpion a minute ago, but the boots that Scorpio is wearing are airborne trooper boots. Hmm, I didn't notice that. Well, I didn't know it either. I didn't know. They focus on the boots. I was like, what the fuck's up with those boots? And I didn't look it up. I just happened upon this trivia on on my, my, I was watching this on Amazon today, on Amazon Prime. And sometimes you can tap the screen and trivia pops up. It's the miracle of technology. And the boots are are, are U.S. Uh, airborne trooper boots, I guess. And so I don't know if this was Robinson's idea completely or if it was Seagull, Seagulls uh, and uh, and Robinson. But Robinson had this whole backstory. Do you have a hand up on you? No, there's something on my screen. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but Robinson, Andrew Robinson, had this backstory of his character having been in Vietnam and being a soldier. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering. So this was this was sort of a, a, a nod to that backstory. And in fact, going back to that, the composer of the score that you were talking about earlier, Jason, the Scorpio Killers theme is has these women singing in it. And those are the kind of the voices of conflict in his head like the the voices of his madness i guess is what he was he was he was going for you might know more about this than i do jason no, no. Know a little bit about this no i didn't know that and it, it was a little weird i guess for a seagull the director it's like, why are you doing that? And then the director, the, the 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 composer had this like grand vision, artistic vision of why Scorpio would have these these women singing in his head, you know, because he was confident yeah. about who he was and, and the voices in his head would be women, you know. I I, I don't remember all of the, the rationale, but I, I, I appreciated the craziness of the rationale. Well, a lot of soldiers that went to Vietnam ended up killing civilians on purpose or not. And the Ron Kovac book, he talks about accidentally killing a bunch of women and kids in a hut and it's just oh. like m- maybe the women symbolize Vietnamese women oh yeah who knows who knows uh, we'd have to From, talk to the composer to I don't know that's just something that I could see that's yeah. that's pretty crazy see that, and that sounds right I think Lalo Schifrin had a great idea musically what you were both saying fits Absolutely. But those are such subtle additions, um, you know, with, with the combat boots and so forth. Because the one thing that I would say about uh, Andy Robinson's Scorpio, I guess the only criticism that I would make, which isn't really a criticism, because I think this film works better that he's just so completely over the top. Uh, I, that's the bet. That's the that's what makes him a really memorable villain. I think so. Yeah, that, I think it's fair. Too. I don't. But I don't think that we really ever learn anything about him. He, he, is, he is completely a stereotype, a walking stereotype of an unhinged person who is, who, whose story is, is, is not something that we want. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's what's neat about the film because the, the film is about Harry and Harry's not in, would not be interested in his motivation either. So, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe that could be, so it, it, it does work, but the character of Scorpio is not really a character. He's more of a, he's more of a force of nature. You know, when I was watching this, you guys are saying, 
I, I kept thinking, and I don't think that they're equal films, but I kept thinking of The Dark Knight, and I kept thinking of Heath Ledger's Joker and Batman while I was watching this film, because I do think Scorpio reminds me a lot of, of Heath Ledger's Joker. Just wants to see the world burn. Which, I, I, Yeah, something like that. Which, okay, so, and I guess that, you know, that's what I'm getting at. I'm, 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 I'm pointing out this lack of character development yep. with Scorpio, but I'm also defending the portrayal, and I think that you mentioning the Dark Knight is a very good example of how that can work when you have a villain that, that that is almost their motivation is just so beyond what we could comprehend that that's what makes them so dangerous. Which and, isn't to say necessarily that their motivation is profound, but that it's just something we don't relate to. We yeah. don't relate to the way they see the world. Yeah, and but this I film's like not going to tell us. This, this film's not going to tell us how he sees the world. No, no. The closest we get is that you know he's not going to quit because he likes it. Yeah. All, all we need to know is that how he sees the world is bad. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Strangely, how how Dirty Harry sees the world is also is also bad. <laughs> but but um, maybe more forgivable. I don't know. Uh, but he's foiled because of the the tactics that the the police force have used. They've got a lot of helicopters in the sky. They're patrolling rooftops all the time, and they're patrolling areas where they think he might strike where his victim his you know his declared victim pool is likely to be. It's by a church. Is I think it's by a very famous area in in San Francisco. He's foiled. He he makes a quick retreat and then and then Harry and then we're back with Harry I think and and he's this is this is I don't know if it was a trope at the time but it certainly became a trope later which is uh, I don't do partners <laughs> that trope yeah and, and Harry gets his partner Chico played by Rennie Santoni who's been in a lot of stuff but I I he's got he's been in a lot of shows I can't I can't place other than this I don't know what else I've seen him in though I know I've seen him in a lot over the years he's a decent actor and this is it's his it's 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 Eastwood's new partner fairly new detective and Eastwood says you know uh basically he gives the line that will be given by by rogue cops from here to sit uh, to the end of cinema you know I don't want to be partnered with anybody my partners get killed it's that it's 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 that that shtick and then and then the chief of police you know rightly points out uh yeah dude you're getting a partner <laughs> I, I I actually I, I like the way Eastwood plays the scene because um, it, it's very clear that Harry just likes to to give people a lot of shit. Yes. Because he starts asking him about his background. And and what it becomes very obvious is that Harry is looking for something to to harass him about. And and, and this is the, the line where the lieutenant or one of the other cops says, you know, Harry's not racist. He hates everybody. And he goes yeah. and they go down the list. Um, and, and then and then he points out that uh, Inspector Gonzalez is uh, kind of at the top of his list in terms of in terms of his background or at the bottom. But I noticed that Eastwood kind of winks when he says that. Yeah. Uh, the reason I like the scene, because it, it kind of shows that softer side that I think that you were talking about about yeah. here that. Yeah. I mean, officially, he hates everybody, but he does find ways to kind of plug into situations and engage with people when he has to. Well, there's there's there's. Uh... He's a weird he's a weird character because yeah, he does pretend that he hates everybody. But as does that older cop that that you know helps him rile up Chico a little bit. But while Chico's like not looking, he does do that wink like, you know, this guy maybe maybe he believes this bullshit that we're slinging, right? But yeah. a lot of the gruff exterior seems to be in part maybe you could argue maybe that it was some kind of defensive mechanism because he sees a lot of bad shit and he's always uh doing he he 
Dirty Harry rewards good behavior, and we'll see this later on, what, what he perceives as good behavior, and and does seem to genuinely care about people in, in trouble. Oh, well, well and, and his uh, his relationship with Gonzalez, um, this is the end of all the BS. I mean, from here on out, they, they work really well together. Absolutely, absolutely. And so they foiled Scorpio once, and now they're going to, I think that after that, He's got to deal with the guy. Uh, He gives him some shit. College boy, yada, yada, yada. Mexican heritage, yada, yada, yada. But after he gets past the breaking in and the hazing period, they immediately go on a mission to counter sniper Scorpio. By this point, he's killed. Scorpio's killed the the African-American kid, right? Before they do their counter sniper. Yeah. Well, there's that scene where they, after the hazing, they're driving around the city at night. They they chase that guy with the tans suitcase which is where we get the first scene of harry being a perv and a peeping tom yes yes more evidence that he is a terrible cop yes Um, but they they're chasing the guy that they think might be scorpio might be scorpio and he they follow him to his apartment where he gives his girlfriend a gift and then his girlfriend takes her shirt off and then harry gets assaulted by her neighbors because they're like what are you doing yes and yes uh and so they know by this point that the the killer scorpio is a caucasian a caucasian male um, and so when Harry's looking in the window, he sees very clearly that this isn't a Caucasian male. I think it's a, a, a an Asian yeah. male. Yeah. Uh, and so at that point, he probably should have climbed down from the window. But he's yeah. he's he's, he's an overly curious creeper, I guess, as you say, Anya. And he doesn't look away when he he probably should have. And as you say, the the neighbors beat him up a little bit, and Chico saves him from a worse beating than what he gets. And this is one of those moments where Harry rewards, I think, what he perceives as good behavior because. You know, they've assaulted a cop and they could all go to jail for what they've done. And Chico's ready to send them to jail after also doing something incredibly negligent, which was firing his gun in the air in a city. You know, that <laughs> that bullet's going to carve some ballistic pathway and it could kill somebody. I, I was really disappointed in Chico because I thought he was going to be this the voice of reason in this duo. But and he's about to arrest him. And then Clint Eastwood's like, uh, I'm sorry, Dirty Harry is like, well, let him go. Let's just let him go. And he's like, but they assaulted a cop. Yeah, it's, let him go. He thought that they were doing the right thing stopping a peeping tom from being a peeping tom or he didn't want to get in trouble when they brought them Ooh. in now that, that's, that, that's, that's something that it could have been but i didn't get that that's how he was playing it i if i have a criticism of the film i think that this is a scene that i would criticize as maybe bad filmmaking because i think I don't think uh, Don Siegel or Clint Eastwood want us to think overly terrible thoughts about Dirty Harry. So I think they let him linger and look in that window too long for the gratuitous nudity. I think that's why they did it. When I was and, watching it, I thought he it was because he wanted to see a naked lady, but also, um, and this might be me reaching, but he seemed like a lonely dude. Well, that's, and, a, that's an interesting idea. And there's like a, a loving couple right there. And we know that he doesn't have that. Because in the hospital after, so after the bank robber he gets he gets clipped yeah. by some buckshot and, and when, he's we find the, out. Yeah. when he's in the hospital room this is a, a great point on you the doc says how's your wife and then the doc's like oh shit yeah which his wife's dead or left him at least no 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 we discover later when she talks to chico's uh girlfriend well we know that she he says that his wife out, died but we don't know that at first he we says it he said i know but <laughs> We find it out later. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, you know, in retrospect, examining uh, this scene, what you're saying about him being lonely, that that fits. That, that's a, 
I, I, I wish I had made that connection. It, well, because Harry is a guy. I mean, yeah. Yes. Uh, Harry is a guy who right now, all he does is go to work. And you kind of get the sense that like, you know, his only little moments of happiness are eating the hot dog. That's why he didn't want to go take care of the robbery. You know, he it, like, it did look like a good hot dog. I get it. it looked like an OK hot dog. <laughs> there are a few bad hot dogs. But <laughs> but but I mean, you know, this is where he's at. Is you know he's he's all alone. He, all he does is this job, and I don't think he necessarily likes the job. I think he hates his life. He's dedicated to the job. He's dedicated. Uh, oh yeah, because he even describes later that um, a drunk driver killed his wife. Yeah. Okay. So so he's he's he, he's you know that doesn't get brought up a lot when people talk about uh, Inspector Harry Callahan. Uh, you know, I, I, until I watched this this time around, I had, for, I mean, I had forgotten that he was was married or had a wife or you know was anything other than his own force of nature. Well, and, and so that's why it's very interesting when you guys bring up the the combat boots because it would be a mistake to say this movie has no character development, but it doesn't. It does not beat us over the head with it. No, it's it, not interested in lingering on it. It reminded me a lot of the way that the Limey um, created character development. Yeah. Very, very subtle, like visual cues and yeah. like one-liners told you a lot about the characters in the movie, which Absolutely. I think is super effective. And uh, when it's done well, I, I prefer it just because it's so subtle and Absolutely. No, a good way to keep a movie on track. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's another way in which this film is masterful. And I think a lot of filmmakers today can learn from kind of getting acquainted with older films just in the way you can do a lot without explaining everything but you know with clever writing and clever shot composition you can you can do a lot of character development without exposition you know or just saying fuck character development well i mean th there are aspects to the story here uh and certainly the cinematography and so forth that this is kind of an epic police movie mm -hmm. it's less than two hours Yep. This movie does a lot of work in less than two hours. It, it's not really a super long movie. No. That's also why it reminded me of The Limey, because The Limey does a lot in oh. what is it, an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So we're going to have our first battle with Scorpio. Well, first. Oh, sorry. Oh, shit. The suicide scene. Oh, right. Jason. Jason, is this film, is this scene referenced in, I want to hold on. Is this film referenced in what I think is a 1988 buddy cop movie starring Mel Gibson it, and Danny Glover? No, uh, it, it is referenced in 1987 buddy cop movie. Oh, sorry. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Oh, oh. Yes, I think so. Okay, so you want to take us through this this scene? So after Wait, Dirty Harry, after Dirty Harry's been punched in the mouth by some, some they get a, yeah by some nice neighbors. Yes, yes, they get, they get a, a, a call on the radio, some code, some police code, and they're like, "We're on our way," and they show up, and there's this guy on a roof, and the firemen and other people can't get them down, and they're like, "Well, now that you're here," and Harry's like, "Well, I go up there." <laughs> And he does. And he's basically his method of convincing someone not to kill themselves is to tell them how disgusting their body will be when they fall to the ground. And and, and to piss them off so much that they assault him. Yeah. Yeah. He he gets so grossed out and angry that he almost vomits and then kind of falls on Harry and Harry just knocks him out. And he's like, well, job done. Well, what Harry does is he's like, well, because well, he describes like how one of his friends got killed by a jumper. and. 
it took him down with him. Yeah. And then the guy's like, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. And then Harry says, and this is some pretty clever acting by Clint Eastwood. I thought I was like, oh, don't do that. You know, all those people looking up, oh, God, you'll vomit on him. And he's like, <laughs> that's just don't do that guy. And he's laughing about it. Right. Um, and then he also does that. Well, what's your name and address? I just need that. Because because we won't be able to identify you. Yeah. Yeah, and then the guy's like, "You son of a bitch!" And he leaps on and attacks Harry, like 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 Jason said. And after a a, a brief struggle that only Dirty Harry could possibly have won, he gets the guy down. But that's why he says he got the name Dirty Harry because what is it? He gets the dirtiest jobs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. After that, then we get the a scene where uh, the the chief of police or the captain of police, I guess, is looking at this. Elephant rifle. This, I mean, that's what it is, guys. It's a, it's a Winchester. Uh, I think it's a 458. And the guy's like 458 Magnum. You like an edge? And yeah. and again, this is the worst tool for the job that Dirty Harry has to do, which is to take out Scorpio. I mean, that's it's, this is a strange police operation, I think, where they're basically it's- engaging in counter sniper uh, warfare here. <laughs> I mean, I know crime is bad, guys, but <laughs> we need to do counter snipering. Why don't they have more cops ready to swarm too? And then just send so so San Francisco PD fucking sucks in this movie. They send two cops to take down this guy who's terrorizing the city. They have almost no backup anywhere nearby. And Dirty Harry's using a fucking elephant rifle to fucking combat a guy who's using a much more sensible firearm. And- Which but it's realistic because um, this is some of the worst shooting that Harry does in the entire series. It's true. It's true. Before before we get to Dirty Harry's terrible counter sniper strategies with a with the fucking elephant rifle, let's talk about like kind of the noir shots of Harry and Chico on the roof beneath this crazy Jesus saves sign in the middle of downtown San Francisco. And we're back at that park that 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 Scorpio was going to try and kill somebody earlier because he needs to get his priest for his 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 to satisfy his super ego according to the to the captain of police who doesn't read Freud either. Uh <laughs> So, but anyway, this is where we get Dirty Harry's second instance of being a bad cop. Even before fucking shooting a fucking elephant rifle, he gets distracted by a trio of naked lesbians in the building across from him as he's taking it out. Go ahead. He's searching the windows to find someone to look at. He doesn't just just get distracted. He's looking into multiple people's windows. Well, now, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to defend Dirty Harry a second here by- I don't think you should. Let me finish and then you can you can attack my point. I thought he was looking for sniper positions in the windows and and then he was getting a uh, Norman Lear kind of uh, snapshot of San Francisco and then his he, his inner pervert is activated by the trio of, of naked lesbians. That's my that's I my hypothesis. Don't, I disagree. You just think he was just spying on everybody? Yeah, I think he's very bored man and I think well, he likes to look through people's windows. <laughs> it's it's hard to argue that actually, but it's a very what's a very rear window. Says, it he is. says, "Oh, come on, Harry, you owe yourself a little fun." Well, that's true. That's true, and it's only I think hearing a door open that he gets distracted from. Well, he 
once like i think this is the first big fuck up but he's distracted from the the sniper because he's looking at all the naked women and he yeah. misses like i don't know what he he misses like a shot or or well, something he, he, misses he misses a lot of shots badly but he misses a key opportunity to see so all he sees is the door open or shut and he missed the moment before where he could have tracked the guy to see where he was going to go yeah, the, the door is ajar yeah yeah and you know it's this moment that it occurred to me that we've talked a little bit uh, about him being a, a great shot and you guys have, have talked about him being a, a bad cop I saw it more as just you know this is a guy that he actually uh, actually is a lot like the character in Unforgiven many years later that he relies a lot on getting the drop on people, intimidating people. He's not necessarily a super cop. He's not a superhero. No. You know, he, he's not the greatest. He's not the world's best detective. I, I don't think he's a bad detective. I mean, he's not totally incompetent. He's just very, he's definitely capable of tripping himself up and making bad choices. Yes. That, the, you know, he's capable of getting into his own way. And I think he does here. Yeah, he 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 doesn't track him very. And then when he finally does see him, he does tell his partner, well, put the light on him. And he does. And so we're kind of relieved. OK, it's going to be OK. He sees him now. One shot from Harry's should be all that's necessary. And he misses badly. Well, and then And then because he's a fucking elephant rifle, every time he pulls the trigger, that barrel jumps four feet. And the enemy, uh, Scorpio, is fucking just laying down. I don't know where Scorpio got this fucking automatic German rifle, but he's just spraying thousands of bullets everywhere. And Harry's still trying to get the rifle back down to get another shot on Scorpio. And one of the things I, I, I do kind of like about this scene is that I think in a different movie with a different director, they might not have had him have any trouble with this giant rifle. Right. But but it does give him trouble, right? Uh, it does intimidate and scare Scorpio a little bit. But crucially, as you've said, Jason, it doesn't hit Scorpio. <laughs> Ever, you know um and in fact scorpio comes closer to killing them than they ever come to killing him in this scene and he of yeah. course escapes kills the priest i think even in the end or does he, he kill a cop or does he, he doesn't, kill a cop? He doesn't kills a kill a cop he kills a cop but kills a cop. he kills the kid because he didn't kill the priest okay okay so we got our we that's got our, right so yeah so so oh so after this then he he doesn't get the priest so he goes and he shoots a a, a young uh black kid and this is another scene where Harry gets called to the scene uh, with Chico and uh, they don't show anything but they do verbally describe the injuries that the kid sustained and Harry's like does anybody know who, who, who the kid is and this will put the lie to the Harry hates everybody thing that we heard earlier when the mom's like his name is something something and is my son and she's crying you know she's kind of stoic about it but like Harry looks really sad <laughs> But, but he doesn't go over to her. He doesn't go over to her because that's not necessarily his gift. That's not his journey. Oh, no. um, nothing, nothing he says is going to be helpful, I don't think. <laughs> no. well, I, 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 I do think that Harry knows himself well enough to realize that he's not always an ace in empathetic <laughs> kinds of conversations. Though he will come through for Chico's wife, but I think that's more because she's a cop's wife and a cop, you know, and related to things that he's really used to understanding. But here, they pull the they pull the body bag off the kid to, to examine the wound, and then Chico comes over and almost vomits on the crime scene. And here's where Harry's like, you should go talk to the mother. <laughs> <laughs> but but 
Harry clearly doesn't hate everybody. He doesn't hate anybody, you know, certainly not based on their race or ethnicity or sexual orientation. He does, I do think that he has a sense of his job is to help people like this woman who just lost her son. I mean, he, he knows that he's not going to be the, the cop who talks to the family. Right. Right. I don't think he really wants to be a cop. Like, well, I don't think that that's. I think you might be right about that, and we'll talk about that as we get to the end of the film. But I and it's so after this killing, they're back in the in the police department, and I believe by this point they get the they get the letter from Scorpio that says, "Now I want two million, Right? Is this when he says that he kidnapped a girl and buried her alive? Yes, yes. And I was never having seen the movie before. I was very shocked at, at this crime. Yes. I don't know. It wasn't what I was expecting. It seemed modern. <laughs> Yes, um, yes. I think I think that that's fair. It's a, it's a. I think it's a fairly horrific crime. Terrifying. It and reminded me of the Grave Digger from Bones. I I knew you were gonna do that. I knew you were gonna do Grave Digger from Bones. I I don't know why I knew that, but those uh, episodes are so scary. It's true. It's true. So the mayor's gonna pay the two million dollars. He's calling in some favors. He's gonna try and do what? that. You're gonna pay this guy. You know, she's well, he's so angry. Yeah, he's so angry because she's. He says she's dead. Well, yeah, he's probably right too. I think you know. He is right. Yeah, yeah. But, it's so terrible. Yes, yes. The and, tooth. Go ahead, on it. Ah. Yeah, the the, uh, the tooth. Yes. Remove flyers. That's, that's some seven shit right there. Yeah. Well, I went into this movie expecting a sort of a goofy cop movie, and it's not what I got. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we didn't warn you su- sufficiently. Don't worry. In the next film, Dirty Harry is chasing a rogue shark across the the San Francisco Bay with Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I but know you're lying. I, I might be. I might be. But it's very interesting because nobody wants to be the person who delivers the money. Uh, they they asked Dirty Harry, hey, you want to deliver the money? Nobody else wants to. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Chico's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's think about this, guys. And he said, shouldn't he have some backup? And then the I think this guy is the chief of police. Harry Gar- Gardino is the chief of police. And he fucking jumps on Chico for no real good reason because Chico... No, Harry Gardino is the lieutenant. Okay. Who actually, who actually, I think is Harry is a friend of Harry's, but he has enough authority. You know, he's, he's enough of a position of authority that Harry's escapades end up on his desk. Okay. I, that, that was my reading of his character. The chief of police is the one in the, in the dress blue uniform. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, John Large. So they're going to pay the, they're going to pay Scorpio off to get the location of the, of the, the, the really young victim. I think she's like 13. Yeah. Pretty horrifying. Now Harry's supposed to play it straight, but he and Chico are like, you know, let's not play it straight. We'll take the money to the guy, but if shit goes south, Chico's going to be there to back up Dirty Harry. And Dirty Harry goes to a little private investigator supplier to get like a little microphone headset so he and Chico can talk the whole time. I I thought that the... Um... The guy that gave him the microphone was Don Siegel, but I could not find anywhere that it was. I thought it was a cameo. Okay. But I couldn't find anywhere that that was the case. The franchise misses a chance to give Dirty Harry his own cue here. Like this guy should have popped up again and again, giving Dirty Harry gadgets. Might have been too on the nose though. Low key gadgets that don't really impress anyone that aren't very effective you know just like a san francisco cop salary cue right 
I can rig something up for you, Dirty Harry, but I know it's going to be very good. But I'll, yeah, no, don't pay me for it. Don't don't pay me for it. But the guy gives Dirty Harry a you know a little two way radio that it'll be hard to see. He and Chico go on a on a merry chase that will be recreated in a Ron Howard film starring Gary Sinise and Mel Gibson. I caught this too. Yeah. yeah. Now, basically, Scorpio is going to make Clint Eastwood run all over San Francisco. This also gets revisited in. Die Hard. Die Hard. And actually, Die Hard 3 came first. So, oh, the, no, it was the same year. Was it the same year? Yeah. Die Hard yeah. When did this movie come out? So, the film I'm referring to by Ron Howard is Ransom, and the film that Anya is referring to is Die Hard with, Die a, Hard with a Vengeance. Yes. No, but when did when did Dirty Harry come out? 1971. Oh, this is the original. This is the original. Yeah. I mean, Die I'm Hard saying, 3 came out in the 1970s? No, 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 no. No, I was saying that it came out before Ransom. Oh. They actually actually came out the same year, I believe. That makes much more sense. Yeah. Okay. So so anyway, these films are certainly hearkening back to this, but all of these films are probably hearkening back to High and Low, which was an Akira Kurosawa film starring Toshiro Mifune, and where he plays a guy who... uh, is a business tycoon, a, 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 a giant of the business world. And somebody tries to kidnap his child and they think they have kidnapped his child, but they've really kidnapped the help's child. Mm. And he has to decide whether or not he's going to pay a ransom. And he has to go through some hoops and loops to deliver the money. And it's a, it's, it's kind of neat because it's a real, it's a real mental battle for Toshiro Mifune's character to part with the money to save somebody else's kid. He does it. He's clearly not happy about it, but I get it. It's okay. At least he did it. He Oh, it's a lot of money, my money for somebody else's kid. But it, it is the right thing to do. But it's also like that famous baby that got kidnapped. Lindbergh. Yeah, Lindbergh. The, they the did that. Lindbergh baby. So Dirty Harry's got to go from payphone to payphone. Jason, our co-host here, has probably been to every one of these payphones. No. <laughs> well, first of all, those payphones are probably not there anymore. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. Now there is a there, there is an image. I want to go back to the the kind of glorious composition of this. One of the there's this moment where Dirty Harry's kind of waiting to figure out how he's going to be contacted by Scorpio. Scorpio hasn't told them how he's going to do it. And there's this phone ringing in this payphone booth, this half booth, and it's just this like this globe uh, in the middle of the night, like by the bay. I just think it's a really nice uh, shot of a payphone. You know, it, it's 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 one of those moments where the film demonstrates its skill uh, or the director and everybody's skill in, in just composing like, you know, really subtle shots that you'd be like, well, you know, that's really nice. That's really, that's a really nice composition. And, and just, and, and just the smallest bit of tension because with a lot of these phones, Harry has to sprint up to them. Yeah. Before they stop ringing. Yes. By the fourth ring, if you don't pick up, the girl's dead. So, which, and and the two films that you both mentioned, probably, probably dial it up a little bit more. Yeah. But this is pretty intense. This is actually, it's a gripping thing to to, to kind of watch because he's, He's wearing a suit, right? Yes, he's always wearing a suit because there's no way you can conceal a gun <laughs> right. point five inch barrel without having a suit coat on all the time. So another reason why his choice of firearm is terrible. Now, audience, I, I don't think I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention this on our Instagram page in a video, but the script called for a four... So let's talk a little bit about a, a member of the cast here, which is the... It doesn't get billed. It's the Model 29 revolver that Dirty Harry carries. It's a 44 Magnum, the most, what is it, Jason? Is it what? Most powerful handgun in the world. Blow your head clean off. That, that's the one. That's the one. And 
it had been discontinued by Smith and Wesson like a couple years before this film came out. So at least according to several sources that I read, when the producers went to get a Model 29, they the script called for a four inch barrel. They didn't have it, so they kind of Frankenstein together a Model 29, and that's how Dirty Harry ends up with this 6.5 inch barreled revolver that is not suitable for concealment, but also is Jason. What's what what? How powerful is this again? I could blow your head clean off. Yeah, the, the most powerful handgun in the world. And this was true in 1971. It's not true any longer. But this is a terrible cartridge for law enforcement to carry because it's it's going to do something called overpenetrate. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, in addition to making everybody on the street deaf when Harry fires it, it's going to go through the criminals of, of San Francisco and hit whatever is behind it. It's just a terrible, it's a terrible choice. I, would you agree? I think one of the only things that actually, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the politics, the Supreme Court politics, but visually, you know, in terms of filmmaking, the only thing that dates this movie to me, because the violence is is frighteningly depicted, is the sound design. I, I actually think the sound of uh, of his firearm is just kind of weak compared yeah. to you would have today i agree it's weak and it doesn't really sound like a 44 magnum i don't think no which is an incredibly loud firearm uh even with you know ear protection but no it is it is a 1971 it is a 1971 and maybe even a 1965 gun sound that his revolver makes Um, yeah and all of the gun sounds are very 1970s 60s kind of yeah you know that you know that kind of weird rise in tone. Well, for many years, for many years, when when they would do sound design, they would go to an archive of sounds. Yeah, and, and these sound designers, they had just archives of all these random things. And like, oh, I, I, you know, I need a gun sound. Oh, that one will do. And then that's what they would put on the on the track. That one will do. Didn't help this movie in sound design. I, it, it didn't hurt it. It 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 Fair. It, 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 um, it that that aspect of it hasn't aged well. No, but there were no movies at that time that would have had a realistic no no i mean but but when i was listening to when I, I i had the same experience because thinking back to other films i i had a thought something like didn't i hear that sound when we watched ombre <laughs> you know Pachoo! my favorite sound effect in the film is what is the bad guy what's the, what's the name of the actor that plays the bad guy andy robinson when clint eastwood stabs him in the leg with a knife noise that comes out of his mouth i we're, was like what the about, fuck is happening we're about to get there we're about to get there but we should we should back up a little bit so before harry goes on this escapade he asks his tenant for some scotch tape so that he can he can tape a switchblade to his ankle and the lieutenant says maybe one of the dumbest lines in cinema history where he says it's really it's really terrible that a man of the law knows how to use a weapon like that you press a button every Everybody knows how to use a weapon like that. What are you talking about? And but Dirty Harry tapes his uh, very smooth legs up with with the scotch tape, and he attaches that 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 uh, that switchblade to them. Now well, um, that's Lieutenant Bressler, right? That yeah, yeah, yeah. Now see, that's one of those moments where Bressler is kind of. He knows because right, he knows that Harry is violating what the mayor would want him to do. It's true. Yep. And he he's gonna look the other way. Boyce is disapproved. He's not he's not gonna rat on him. 
Well, no, I don't even think it's it's that he's not going to rat on him. I think it one of the things that characterizes all of the bureaucracy in this film is their inaction and their inability to take any responsibility for anything. Yeah, when Harry picks up the the yellow suitcase full of money, he says, did you count it? And then the first guy says no. And then the second guy who's higher up on the food chain says, it's not my responsibility. And then Harry says this great line, I always knew I'd get rich as a cop. Yeah. Well, but okay, but see, I, 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 I agree with you all. But the thing is, is that I, I do think that that because Bressler, Lieutenant Bressler, does order Harry around a couple times. Yeah. So he doesn't want Harry to get him into trouble. But I think that Lieutenant Bressler doesn't necessarily disapprove of Harry. He just doesn't like dealing with the fallout of what Harry does. Yeah. And that's what makes something. That so, might be true. Bressler never really gives us any inclination strongly one way or the other. But 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 by what you but I think you're making a you're keying into something that's probably. Well, he, Harry would not have done that in front of the mayor or the chief. He would not have. You're right. That's my point. Is that is that Bressler? He he. They have enough of a history that Bressler's only going to get him into trouble if he has to. Yep. Bressler will throw Harry under the bus only if he has to. Only if he has to. But I mean, I have I have almost no doubt that Bressler knows that Chico's going to be following Harry around that night. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. he'll be able to swoop in and claim credit if it breaks Harry and Chico's way. Oh yeah, we I orchestrated this operation with him. I can see Bressler doing that. I don't know. I I actually think that there's a friendship there. Maybe. Maybe I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but even still, I think that Bressler is a bureaucrat and a bureaucrat in a Dirty Harry film is going to do something like that. Swoop in and, and claim credit a little bit. He wouldn't he wouldn't push Harry out, but he would jump in on that on that parade, I think, you know, and be, be a part of it. But so Harry jumps through all the hoops, goes through all the pay phones. He's got to run around. He's probably not wearing the right shoes for this this endeavor. And he gets to a I, w- I, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to sprint in dress shoes. <laughs> No, no, no. All I could think of was like, he's going to slip somewhere. He's going to slip. But this is a fantasy film, so he doesn't slip. He gets accosted by some people. He accosts some people. Well, it's a mutual accostation. They're like, uh, what's in the bag? And he's like, it's none of your business. Why don't you guys move along? And they're like, well, forget that. It's give us your money. And then uh, he uh, displays some daring do and and also displays his handgun. And then they all leave. And then he gets back to his run. One of the things I do like about the scene is that every time like Harry gets a moment after a run, he looks like a guy who doesn't run a lot. He's like... I should probably take up running, but he makes it. And uh, Jason, have you been to any of these locations in your trips to San? No, no, I, I, I have not been to, to, I mean, I, as I was watching it, I was kind of, and and I, and I tried to, to research this and I couldn't find anything because I wondered, because as far as I can tell, this, this film does a very good job of making the geography of San Francisco very realistic. And again, and I'll get to that later in the last scene, but I, I was curious if one could actually do this run if, if these locations are actually close enough that this was very realistic and someone could could run in dress shoes from one location to the other 
other. That would have been a one, that would have been a myth for the MythBusters to tackle. I think. Too yeah. Well, well. Okay. Because the, the the times I've been to San Francisco, one time I, I I did an exploration of people's temple locations, and the other time was invasion of the body snatchers locations. I, I remember. I remember. I remember some texts from you about the. I think that uh, invasion of the body snatchers thing. And, and oh you- yeah, I've got a photo of of me doing the iconic uh, 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 scream in front of the city hall, which is in this movie. Yeah, I, I haven't actually done a Dirty Harry location visit, gotcha. but now I want to. Maybe maybe we'll have to take the all of us out there sometime and do a Dirty Harry tour. Yeah. Of, that sounds of, great. The Scorpio directs him to go up to a, a giant concrete cross in the park. This is going to be a theme in the film where Harry Callahan will often appear in the film, especially when he's confronting Scorpio around some kind of religious iconography. The first, the first, the first uh, battle, uh, Harry is directly below a Jesus save sign. The second confrontation is right beneath the stone cross, and then there's another. Yeah. There's another confrontation that will also have a cruciform, I think, image in it before they begin their final confrontation. Above yeah. the I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, I noticed all those things, but I didn't connect them. I didn't either. I, 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 I wish I could claim credit for making this observation on my own, but it's just something I saw on IMDb trivia. And they were like, when Dirty Harry is about to confront or is confronting Scorpio, he's around some kind of religious iconography, like a cross or something. Well, the Jesus save sign was a prop for the film, Ooh. but the but the big cross is an actual location. I, 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 I'm surprised that the Jesus save sign is a prop because I, I, I would have not been, I would have expected the Catholic church to do something like that. You know, like, Hey, come join us. Um, it's not buddy Jesus, but it's pretty close. <laughs> anyway, uh, this all goes to shit really quickly. Dirty Harry is disarmed. He throws his gun away at Scorpio's command. Scorpio is actually kind of frightening in his red. I think he's got like a weird ski mask on. And Andrew Robinson has these very weird, very full lips that look kind of bizarre in this mask. Did anybody get that too? Like It looked like he was always spitting when he was talking. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it's not, I mean, perfect. Perfect for what they were trying to do. Yeah. It was and terrible to terrible to see, but terrible to see what they were tr- shoot going for. And so he attacks. So Scorpio attacks Dirty Harry, and Dirty Harry's kind of sort of defending himself a little bit. And he's and Scorpio's like, "Put your hands up again to stop me from doing this." And the girl dies. Understand? And of course, at this point, Harry uh, Harry's kind of concussed, I believe. And then that's when Scorpio just reveals, "I've changed my mind. I'm gonna kill her. That's what I'm gonna do, pig." And and he's he's very cruel to Harry here. But luckily, Chico is there to kind of draw the attention away. And Chico engages with Scorpio, and they have a bit of a shootout. They both get shot. They both get... Does does Scorpio get shot here? Yeah. Oh, no. He's stabbed. He gets stabbed because because Harry withdraws the, the switchblade from his his really shiny legs and stabs Scorpio in the leg and Scorpio, what does he do, Anya, in response to this? It's like, I, it's like some kind of strange remix of a Wilhelm scream. You, you need to play it in the, in the episode. Okay, you want me to, you want me to get the... It's insane. The I, like I've been injured before. 
Um, uh, I, I think all I think everybody who's listening has been injured before. Clearly, you've never been stabbed like that. I've never been stabbed like that, but I don't think most normal humans ha- have an instinct to make the sound that Scorpio makes in this moment. It's it's unnerving. If you had had a lot of whiskey, it would be funny. Andrew Robinson goes for it in this scene, and God bless him for it. You've got to play it. It's I'll, 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 I'll splice it in. I'll splice it in. I... And some mocking tone. I I actually, I, I kind of felt that it enhanced this kind of otherworldly, inhuman aspect of him. I didn't oh, hate I, it. I, I absolutely agree. You might be detecting a mocking tone. I am saying, God bless Adam Robinson. I am a complete atheist. Calling on God to bless Adam Robinson <laughs> for this glorious instinct that he had to, to just say, I wonder what the most bizarre thing I could do <laughs> Uh, in response to being stabbed in the leg would be, I'm just going to throw it at Don and we'll see what he does. And Don said, <laughs> oh, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> anyway. So weird. No, go ahead. No, it, it, it's really interesting. Actually, I, I just had a thought and, and it was li- and it was in listening to y'all describing it, this scene. And th- this had not occurred to me. Harry is suddenly in the position of the criminal from the bank in that he, he had information that he knew that the gun was empty and he, and he was playing with this guy who was on the ground and, and had been shot. And in this instance, Harry's on the ground and Scorpio it reveals to him that, well, I'm going to kill her anyway. In other words, and of course we can assume she, she's already dead. Like this was all theater in the, in the first place, but now Harry is the one on the ground and Harry is the one who is, who has been manipulated and lied to. And I, I really hadn't made that connection that the, those two scenes are almost like kind of mirror images of each other, but they, they kind of are. Absolutely. No, I hadn't thought of that. I didn't notice that either. Anya, did you notice that? No, I didn't. I was, I was too preoccupied with the bright red blood and the screaming. Yes. Yes. The other thing that I think really sells this scene and sells kind of the drama of the injury is everything Robinson does after that. Like when he runs away and basically passes out, you know, for a bit. And he's, he's also making weird sounds as he's running down the this hill in San Francisco. Oh, and, and my and, and my thought was if this motherfucker gets away with that money, I'm gonna be so pissed off. Yeah, yeah. He ends up dropping it. Right. He drops it because he falls down at a, a grade. And I'll tell you what I thought was like when he this was my thought when he was rolling down the hill. I was like, that knife is still in his leg. Oh my God, that would hurt so bad. Yes. Um because like I was just thinking every time it rolled, that knife is getting jostled this way and that. And I was just like, boy, couldn't it happen to a better bad guy? <laughs> you know? Yes. But I was also having sympathetic pain at the same time because I'm 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 a decent human being. I had um, no sympathy for that guy. No sympathetic pains throughout this whole movie. <laughs> you could override your 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 autonomic nervous system. Every noise that guy made made me hate him more. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an effective so, villain. So yeah. what happens next? He uh, he he escapes, doesn't he? This this scene, he escapes from Dirty Harry, and then Dirty Harry is on the guy, his friend's couch, back at the station. Yeah. And he's being berated, and then I, and he's all beat up and cut up. And then they they get a call saying that somebody a 
the park was treated for a knife wound. And, and then that's they, when they, they swoop the... in and we get the famous football stadium scene, right? Well, yeah, because we, we have to go talk to the doctor that treated him and he's being not super helpful. Oh, and HIPAA, HIPAA makes, uh, you got to follow HIPAA. Dirty Harry doesn't care about HIPAA. HIPAA was, pass, HIPAA was passed in 1996. Well, <laughs> ah. um, well, Dirty Harry wouldn't have cared in 96 either. Um, they find out that the doctor knew him because he recognized him from the football field because the guy had let him stay in like I don't know this base it was like looks like a storage closet at the football field and then him and DeGorgio yeah that cop because Chico has been shot they go to the football field and somebody in some scene before they go to the football field mentions a warrant and Dirty Harry's like fuck that noise <laughs> and they go to the football field they search the guy's home and that's not good as we'll find out later yeah and somehow the the bad guy sees dirty harry a chase ensues across the football field and the gorgio turns on all the lights in the football field and dirty harry says stop and i think i think scorpio stops right yes he does and then dirty harry shoots him Dirty Harry also was unable to override his autonomic nervous system. And that scene, that shot of, of Callahan, though, is so great when he says stop. Oh, it's it is wonderful. And then we get another incredible bit of acting from Andrew Robinson, who like is insane. It's very interesting to see him beg and plead for his own life, you know, in these moments after the kind of terror that he has wreaked on San Francisco, right? Yeah. <laughs> I actually think I, I would love to talk to Quentin Tarantino to see if he was channeling any of that in his masterful movie Death Proof with Kurt Russell and Rosario Dawson because when shit finally turns south for the for the bad guy in that he becomes a blubbering baby and Kurt Russell just sells it in the in in Death Proof and when the tables turn on on Scorpio he has no courage he has no uh, yeah. now it's it's hard to know if this is an act on his part, like maybe he's misjudged who Dirty Harry Callahan is. You know, maybe he thinks he's talking to like a cop who gives a fuck about keeping his job, about law, about rule of law, about procedure, about people's rights, about any of that shit. (laughs) But... The, the collapse of his backbone is kind of impressive to me. But then but then Dirty Harry has questions he needs to ask and he's, he needs to ask them, he needs to ask hard questions in hard ways. Where's the girl? Uh, this is kind of a classic problem in, you know, in morality, uh, I guess, uh, theoretics. What do you do in this situation? It's like classic, there's a bomb about to go off. A guy knows what the details of the bomb are. What do you do to, to get that information? And Dirty Harry's sort of faced with that. Dirty Harry doesn't think that the girl's alive but there is a small chance that she is alive do you do what he does do you step on the guy's leg that's just been shot and recently stabbed both by dirty harry to get that information yes seemed like a pretty good question to end on for that, part i one. think it's a great I, I i think that's fine i think the movie demands deep inspection hey listeners it's me max you'll notice this isn't the three of us talking about the movie sadly We have to end the episode here. That means you guys get a part one. Next week, you'll get a part two. We had a lot of technical difficulties when we were recording this episode. A lot of squelch issues, which you will have heard at the beginning and a bit throughout. I tried to edit out as much of it as I could. Hopefully, I made the 
listening experience enjoyable. And at the end of the night, Anya's internet cut out, so we just have to call it. And we'll give you part two next week. You have to wait till next week for part two. In the meantime, we have some fun stuff over at our Instagram page, which can be found at Max and Jason Watch a Movie, all one word, all lowercase. I shot some video that I hope is entertaining that goes with this Dirty Harry podcast. In addition to the video I shot, Anya does a great job of curating our page. She finds great images to go with the movie and provides a link to the show that you can share very easily with family and friends, loved ones, bosses, underlings, cronies, all the people that you want to share our show with also like and subscribe to us on apple podcasts leave us a five-star review if you like the show it helps people find us you can find me at the supper test on twitter you can find anya on instagram at ons underscore solo and that's all the news that i got guys we'll see you next week or hear you next week or you'll hear us night uh obviously um his uh ignoring of due process was pretty Pretty important. I know Doc Savages, though. I mean, yeah, hipster disco is where it was. Where it was what I think. This is very much um, um, kind of one of those cultural osmosis movies. It causes complete and utter chaos. Strangely, how how Dirty Harry sees the world is also. It looks like a gin and tonic I might have poured. It seems really like a lot of gin and tonic there. I had forgotten how casual the seventies was with uh, nudity. <laughs> <laughs>